Find your way. Let's, uh, let's stand together, if you would, and we're going to read from this frame in scripture for today. It'll be up on the screens for us. You ready? Let's read it together. We can bring the lights back up again. So whoever walks, you ready? Let's read it together. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. All right, Father God, we want your wisdom this morning. We want to hear from you. Speak directly to our hearts this morning. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. 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 So I'm going to say it again. Like I did the last couple of weeks, please please give grace to our media tech, Bella, this week. Um, I'm going to give a lot of scripture. Because of the way Proverbs is written, there's a lot of content that we're going to buzz through, and she'll be putting as many as, as we can up on the screen for you. Now, we didn't have space to reference them all in your notes this weekend, uh, but you can jot them down as we go if you wish. We're going to try to get them all up on the screen, all right? So when I was in grade school, we used to play the game Octopus. Anybody? Anybody remember that? All right, we've got a few in the back. Nice. For this game, they would line you up on one wall, and they would blow the whistle, and the game, the goal was to run from one wall to get across and to touch the other wall, and it's not a particularly complicated game. On the screen behind me, you'll see the video here. There's no audio, so don't worry about that. There's no audio. The, the little twist is that they would pick one person and designate them to stand you know, in the middle. This guy on the video has got the, the pool noodles, right? And so as you ran from one wall to the other, this person would tag you. But what would happen if you got tagged is, is, is you didn't get out. You had to sit down whenever, wherever they tagged you, and then you became part of the machine, right? You became part of the octopus, the machine of evil, right? And you didn't have the autonomy of it, but you were suddenly a part of his kingdom, and you were part of the problem for others. And so you would sit, or you would lay, or you spread out on the floor, and... Um, and then you would put your hands out and you would try to grab people as they would go by and then they would have to sit down and they would be, become part of the machine. So as we went back and forth across the room, you would take more and more people. The octopus would get bigger and bigger and get an increasingly complex maze of little fifth grade enemies that would be sitting on the floor. And that's what made it exciting. So let's put it in a hypothetical game. Now, as if you're playing the game, you learn and get better, right? And you're, so you go through a few times and you're learning how to do it. The first game, maybe you did pretty good. You did okay. You know, you, you, you made it a couple rounds back and forth, but, you know, got hit before it become, you know, becomes more complicated and the octopus and the machine gets bigger. Second game, maybe you were a little distracted and you get hit way too early and, and you only had the time in gym class you know, how many of you love gym class? That was like the favorite of the day, right? You only had time to play maybe three rounds. And so when they get to the third game, it's like, man, I don't want to mess this up. This is serious business, right? I'm going to get through. I'm going to achieve this. So they blow the whistle. And the first time through, it's relatively easy. The second time, it starts to get complicated. The third time, it's getting more complex. The fourth time, Anybody else remember the feelings in the moments like these? You're like, you're so on edge, right? And you look out. And you just barely made it to the wall this last time, and there is an ocean of fifth graders just waiting to tag you. This is getting serious, right? And, and they're looking vicious. It's not a friendly place. And you're like, man, this is bad. I don't know if I'm going to make it this time. And so you start looking around. Who has survived with me? Let me assess the situation. And, and so there's only two people. And you look directly to your right, and it's that kid, Slim, who weighs 50 pounds soaking wet. He's a, you know, he's, a, he's a terrified small little man, and he's shaking in fear right about right now. And you, you look at him, and you think, he is toast. I don't even know how he made it this far in the game. You know, he's probably did that hug the wall thing, or he acted like he's tying his shoes and like, oh, no, I'm not playing. And he got there by trickery. But now... He's dead in the water. There's no future for him. This is all the stuff you're thinking in your head. But then on the other side of him, you're looking over here, and there stands, we'll call him Brutus, who stands, who, who later on in life, he's most likely going to be like a professional football player. Um, Brutus is this large, you know, strapping, intellectual, winsome young man, and he's the picture of the all-American, you know. He's, as you, as you are Wondering what to do next, he looks at both of you, you and Slim, and he says, follow me, I know the way. 
follow me. I know the way. And you guys are looking at each other because you don't know the way. And so they blow the whistle one on, on the three of you. Those are, you're the only three that are left. And so Brutus takes off. Slim takes off. And you take off right on their heels. And sure enough, as you're running, you notice that you're kind of weaving through just outside of the reach of the octopus hands. Like, this is actually working. It's, it's a, you know, you got that excitement. At some point, someone reaches you and you're kind of moved past them. And as soon as you do, you get that swell of pride and you start thinking, oh, I'm good. I'm kind of good at this. And somebody else grabs you and you dodge them. And you're like, no, son, it's not happening. <laughs> and you, you think you've got this figured out. and You're dancing through the middle now and then, bam, you get tagged. And you sit down and you have to sit down and become a part of the octopus machine. And so the whistle blows. The game is over. You're sitting there, and as you look up from your place of defeat, there's two people left standing. There's Brutus in all of his glory. (laughs) And then there's Slim, holding back his tears still. And you look at that, and you think, I lost, and Slim won? How, How is that possible? I'm smarter than him. I'm more athletic than him. I'm more than him in every single way, in so many ways. But then you realize, like we've been talking about the last couple weeks, it's not about intellectual capacity, and it wasn't even about physical ability in this moment. It was about humility. You were proud enough to think, I can do this on my own. And Slim, even though he was weak, he was willing to admit his weakness, and that made him wise. And so at the end of the game, when you get stuck, Slim ran free. And he won octopus. So why do I share that? Because that's the book of Proverbs. That's wisdom. That's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And so wisdom in the Bible is applied knowledge. It's the word we talked about, chokmah in Hebrew, meaning skill, the skill of living, that I understand how to apply principles to the way that I live and to make me successful. There are people you know in life that even though they might be intellectually brilliant, even though they might be wonderfully capable, you watch people that have all of those abilities and talents and gifts detonated by scandal, derailed by hardship, or just stuck in resentment. And then, you know other people in life, it seems that whatever comes their way, they just seems to bounce and roll off. And you see some people where no scandal seems to stick, no problem crushes them, no uh, difficulty ends them, they find ways around it, they're, they're always finding a way to move forward. There's a graciousness to the way that they move, they've got survival skills, as we talked about, they're wise, and that's what this series is about. And in the book of Proverbs, there's four ways to get wisdom really quick that I want to talk about as we jump off today. The skill to be successful in life. So the first one is to ask for it. That's what Solomon did as he's looking at reigning his kingdom at the beginning. He goes to God and he said, I have the, I have the law and, and I have all these people to lead, but I, I don't know how to apply this to all these unique situations. So we ask God, God, give me a heart of wisdom so I can lead your people. And God commended him for that. He, in, in the New Testament, we're called to do that. James, the brother of Jesus said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask God who gives generously. And that's what we're meant to do. God, you know, I don't know how to handle some of what's coming my way, these situations relationally or career-wise. I don't know how to navigate some of these difficult, complex waters that are in front of me. So we've come to the conclusion after our first couple of weeks in Proverbs that willingness to admit that you're weak is one of the steps to the path of wisdom. So we ask for it. So another way to get wisdom, second way, is through experience. Some of you like to call this the school of hard knocks, right? That's why in the book, and all through the Bible actually, elderly people are typically presented as more wise. Now, just becoming old doesn't necessarily make you wise, but the idea is the older you get, you can learn from the experiences that you have. So experience is a great teacher. Third way, you can read the scriptures. You can read the word of God. And it will make you wise. A guy by the name of Mark DeMoss, pictured here, has been incredibly successful in business and in teaching principles that he's learned in the business and the PR world. He he's, uh, uh, speaks to business leaders in our country. And somebody recently asked him about why he's, uh, or, or about the way that he's grown in wisdom and how he navigates difficult situations. And this is how he responded. This is what he said. 
I read a chapter of Proverbs every day. I read a chapter of Proverbs every day, and I've done that for decades. I've read the book of Proverbs over 350 times. It takes about five minutes a day, he says. And then he said, people ask me all the time, are you really going to get wise on five minutes a day? And his response was, wiser than all the people who spend five minutes on Facebook. They're like, ooh. (laughs) Well played, Mark. Well played. (laughs) So read the word of God. That's why if you've been around, if you haven't been around, I want to tell you we're going right now reading through the Proverbs together. We have a Proverbs reading plan that we've put together um, that you can join by following the instructions on your bulletin or on the screen um, so that you can read along. We just started in chapter 8 this morning. So in the book of Proverbs with us, we're, we're just asking you to read most times, most days, half a proverb. So we'll, we'll make you like half a mark, at least, <laughs> for some of you. So you could go full proverb if you want. Um, because if you even read just a little bit, it's going to make you wiser. Amen? Amen? All right. Fourth way to get it is exposure to wise people. I find people that I know that, that know how to navigate the complexities of the world, and I get around them. The way to become wise is to walk with the wise, and that's what really the rest of today is about. Today is about the company that you keep. It's about friendship. Next week, just so you know, I've been a youth pastor um, for 20 years, uh, you know, before I stepped into this role in the youth ministry world, and about, uh, you know, about once a year, it's the youth pastor's job, we get to talk about sex, right? Well, next week is proverbial sex. That's where we're going. I'm giving you the, the warning now in case you have young ones uh, that will be in the room. Now, it's not going to be um, R-rated. It's going to be what, what, what uh, we read in the scripture. I asked Derek, I said, maybe this is the youth pastor's turn to take it. And he said, no, you dug this uh, grave, you get to dig your way out of it. So, <laughs> um, so I, guess, I guess I'm on next week. And so I wanted to give you a heads up. I'm going to talk about it. Um, now, let me say this. Some of what I'm about to say today is somewhat obvious, and wisdom should be that way. It it has a bit of self-evidential quality to it. But the reality is our culture is ever ever decreasing in self-reflection. Would you agree with that? And so we we just don't think about our lives that much. Like if I gave you a quiz on what's a healthy food and what's not, we could probably identify in this room what is healthy food. We know how to eat to be healthy, but some of us don't do it, right? And so we know that if we don't get enough sleep, we'll be more cranky and ineffective. But when Netflix asks you if you want to continue, we just don't stop. (laughs) We just keep on going. And so I'm, I'm going to share some proverbs for us to be wiser. And your first reaction might be, okay, I know this. But remember what the wise do. They realize I need to learn and I need someone to lead me. And so we're called in the book of Proverbs to examine our past. Not examine what you know. Examine how your knowledge has become decisions because your decisions becomes a destination to what path you're on. And and where does it lead? The book of Proverbs is asking you to consider what are the paths that you're walking on. There's two paths, it says, and what's the company that you keep? Because everybody can tell you what they do. Not many can tell you why they do what they do. And so the invitation of this series is to assess our lives. Who am I running with? And where are they going? And what are we doing here? Okay? So let me start with some basics. And these will seem self-evidential, but let's start here. The first is this. On your notes, on the back side of your bulletins if you're taking notes. We are hardwired for community. We spent a month talking about this back in January as we prepared to launch into our connect groups. We all know that we are built for it. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. I love the way that's written. The guy that isolates himself breaks out against sound judgment. Isolation is not good for the human machine. We're not, we're not wired for it. We're not built to operate our, on our own. That's why a form of torture is to isolate people. You're going to isolation, right? Put them in solitary confinement. That's one of the worst things that we can do to somebody. Let's not, let's not let them be around people. So what happens? You start slowly going crazy, right? You start hallucinating. You're stuck on a desert island. You start talking to a volleyball. Because there's something about the way that we're wired. We need us. We need us. We're built for community. There's a place for solitude and for self-reflection, but isolation 
if I don't want to be around people, you know, I'll, I'll get this on my own, will not give you a greater self-knowledge. It will actually harden it. In the book of Hebrews, it says, let's not give up the habit of meeting together and be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So you can actually end up knowing yourself less by spending more time being alone. Isn't that interesting? And you lose perspective. You need us. So some of our worst decisions we make in isolation. It's the saying, have you ever heard this before? Lone rangers are dead rangers. It, you know, kind of harsh, but I respect it because it has some truth to it. We're, we're not meant to travel alone. We're meant to live in community. But here's the other obvious thing. The second thing I want you to write down, not all community is created equal. Now, some are better than others, and that's why in the book of Proverbs, you, you don't get out of chapter one before he starts to say, there are some people, son, that you don't want to hang out with. And he says, my son, don't walk in the way of them. Keep your foot away from their paths. There's people that are going in that direction, and son, you don't want to be with them. So he, then he points to other people in chapter two. He says, walk in the way of the good. Keep to, keep to the path of the righteous. And so there are some people that you do want to be around and you do want to walk with. And then there's other people you don't want to be around and you don't want to walk with. Why? Because there's a fundamental principle underneath both. And that is, I, I can't tell you how many times I've taught this one as a youth pastor over the years. Your friendships shape your future. And it's all over the book of Proverbs. Your friendships shape your future. They determine your future. Your counselors influence your choices and your choices will shape your consequences. Your people determine your path. That's true of all of us. So who's your inner ring? Who are you hanging out with? Because we are influenced by people. We're influenced by our surroundings. And you've all seen that, right? I mean, there was, there's the famous ash uniformity test I've talked about before that they did in the 1950s. They did multiple tests where they'd bring in a group of people and they asked, we're going to show you a straight line. And they'd give them a, a, several lines up on the screen. And there'd be lines one, two, and three. And you have to pick one uh, uh, that's the equal height with the baseline, right? And there'd, one that, there'd be one that's obviously longer, one that's obviously shorter, and then the correct answer. And, and so you've just got to pick it. And so in the control group, when they bring people in, you know, the wrong answer, people got it just 1% of the time. The answer is easy. They're easy decisions. But then... What they would do is they would bring people in and they would tell them to pick one, which ones were right. But what they didn't say is that everybody else in the room except for one person was an actor. And they were paid to give the wrong response and the same wrong response. So then they would, you know, go in the room and they would ask the first question. Everybody would answer the first question correctly. But then they'd get to the second line or the second question. And then all the actors would choose the wrong line. And then you would watch the guy that does, isn't in on it, he'd start to squirm in his seat maybe sometimes, or he'd answer correctly. But here's what happened. 75% of those people that weren't in on, on the test, 75% of them, at least once, some, they just start folding. And you can see them. You can watch the videos of this if you want to Google it later, the Ash Conformity Test. You can see them just kind of start slinking in their chair. They'll respond and they'll give an answer, but you can kind of tell that they're, they're, they'll give the wrong answer because everybody else keeps on giving the wrong answer. So they, they, they made sure that the actors would answer first, it's, it's B, it's B. And they would get to them and they'd say, it's B. You know, you could tell that they were frustrated, but they chose B. And 75% went that way and they just slowly kind of came. The obvious conclusion is that we are influenced by our peers. Who you walk with determines where you go, for better or for worse. And so the book of Proverbs will beg you over and over again, like Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You will learn the ways of the person that you're around. Proverbs 22 says, make no friendship with a man given to anger, no go, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. It says, if you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. You'll start to think like them, decide like them, and move with them. But if you hang out with an angry person, you're going to get more cynical too. You're going to get more bitter too. And you're going to start to sound like them. We've all watched that in ourselves. My wife, uh, Deanna, is, is home with some three sick kids this morning. Bless her heart. And, um, but she, so I get to talk about her. Uh, my wife, <laughs> my wife will, actually I'm talking about me. This is about me. My wife points out my folly sometimes. It's good to have a, a wise uh, partner, right? 
And I've, I've, I've never noticed it before she pointed this out. But as some of you know, um, in my past especially, I was very much into urban culture and I actually grew up, I know it's hard to believe, but I grew up performing in a hip-hop band. And so she pointed out that I would start to talk differently whenever I would get around people that were in that culture. Like if one of the bandmates come around, I'd start using words like, yo, and represent. <laughs> and, and so, and I just start talking that way. That wasn't natural to me, but became natural to me when my guys were around, right? To the point I didn't even realize that I was doing it. Bizarre, right? And, and, you know, but Deanna would be off to the side just kind of chuckling, you know, <laughs> She'd be laughing at me. Uh, you start to sound like who you're around with. Watch with your roommates when you get into college. I've seen this many times where he's, all of a sudden it's like, wow, they're dressing like each other. <laughs> and you already started to dress alike, joke alike, smell alike. It's getting weird. But that's the way the world works. We're like the people that were around. So I remember when I first went to Bible college to study the Bible and get trained in ministry. And I, I was asking a friend that had been there ahead of me to give me some advice. And he said, man, you just want to make sure that you don't fall in with the wrong crowd. Now I'm, I'm going to Bible college. <laughs> so I was like, what's the wrong crowd at Bible college? You know, do they, do they drink caffeine? Do they stay up past 1030? You know, what do they do? <laughs> um, I mean, who are the bad guys? And he was like, nah, man. He said, I want you to watch. There's just the people who go there and they don't have a ministry heart. And, they, and, they, and, they, and they, they don't have the heart to serve with the knowledge that they're getting. So Paul warned us in scripture, right, that knowledge can puff us up. And he said, you'll see them. So as soon as I get there, he was right. There were guys that were proud and that they were arrogant. And um, they're, they're always criticizing the professors, kind of, you know, challenging and making fun of other people. And they were negative. And I realized that there was really there's a toxic community right there on the Bible campus. And, and so... Then on the other side, that there, there were people there that, I, that wanted to learn the Bible because they had this white-hot passion uh, for ministry and serving their community. And what I had to realize about myself, what I had to realize about myself was I'm not strong enough to hang in this other group and not adapt their ways. And so I don't want that to be true of me, but I know that it will be true, and I, so I don't want to do that, so I'm going to choose wisely who I hang out with. And so I realized that when I got to be around some of these other guys that are hope-filled and they're passion-filled and they want to make the difference, I would walk out of time spent with them with a fire in my heart. I would walk out inspired and filled with passion and a, and a passion in my mind that I was absorbing from them. And so, because you'll become who you hang with, right? You'll become like them. So your who determines your where, what path you're going on. Your who determines your where, it determines where you go. You will become like them and you will, here's the thing, you will reap what they sow, is what scripture says. Proverbs 22.10 says, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. Your life will always be filled with drama if that's who you're sticking with. You want to you look around at who you're hanging out with. I had a best friend in junior high, early high school. We hung out all the time. I mean, he was so close with our family. He called my mom, mom. Um, he, many times he would sleep at our house. I would sleep at his house. We went on a missions trip. Um, together, my first mission trip, we went to Guatemala with the youth group together, uh, just like these guys are heading out right now. And when he came back, he said that he was dedicating his life to ministry by serving the community through the field of law enforcement. He wanted to become a police officer, and God had really lit him on fire, and he wanted to do it as a ministry. Um, my family ended up moving away later that summer, and he was pulled a certain direction by a new friend that he met, a young girl. His girlfriend ended up pulling him a certain direction. He ended up hanging with the wrong crowd, one that sold drugs. He ended up getting arrested for selling drugs. His, he, 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 we, we've, we've had conversations recently, and you know, his whole lifelong dream of being a police officer came crashing down because of that one path. That one, really, it started with one friendship. And the next time I saw him, it was, a, it was a, you know, when I was still in high school, he wasn't the same person. He was addicted to nicotine. He was drinking. Um, we tried hanging out, but it was so hard because it was just, it was like we were different people. And, and, I, and it made me wish that he'd never met that girl, number one. She ended up steering him down a path that he honestly is yet to this day fully recovered from. And it says, remember the scripture, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out. Some of you will always have drama because you're running with the wrong crowd. And that's why in the book of Proverbs it says, 
that your who is going to determine your where. Proverbs 4.14, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Don't even take one step. It's basically instructing us to do. Don't even take one step in the path of the wicked. Why? Because there's a progressive searing of the conscious that happens. There's a progressive comfort with the darkness. And he says, they begin to stumble in the dark and they don't even know what they're stumbling over. Anybody remember, I got to see if there's anybody in the room that remembers this. Anybody remember the, the movie, it was made for TV, I believe, um, Lonesome Dove? Anybody? Oh, right, awesome. <laughs> All right, 1988 we're going back to. So I was, I was uh, about 11, I think is what I was. Um, there was a movie miniseries. That's Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones, if you recognize him, on the right. And uh, it was about two Texas Rangers driving some cattle up north. And they had a buddy, a Texas Ranger, and his name was Jake Spoon. But Jake was a bit of an arrogant guy. And he got tired of hanging with them. He didn't like some of their rules. So we, he went off on his own and he found the other crew to hang out with. And this other crew that uh, was kind of mean, but the, it was better than riding alone. And so he, he, he rode with them. And, and he saw that they were being re- disrespectful to people, but he was like, you know, whatever. And he kind of liked, you know, being the, the moral one in this dirty crowd that he was uh, uh, assimilating with. Maybe some of you are kind of like that. You know, you're sort of like being the responsible friend in an irresponsible zone because it makes you feel better about you, maybe. That was Jake Spoon. As Jake's going along with these guys, they decide to rob somebody. And they, they end up killing an innocent man. And Jake's at this moment, he used to be a Texas Ranger. Or he is a Texas Ranger. That's, that's where he was coming from. But he disassociated himself with this group, puts himself with this other group, ends up killing a man. And Jake's at this moment where he's got to decide what he's going to do. So he doesn't condone their behavior, but he doesn't leave them either. And what happens in the end when those men are captured and they're all getting ready to be hung, who's going to do it? The Texas Rangers. And so as he looks at his former community, he looks at them and he says, you guys know me. You guys know I'm not like this. And then one of the most telling scenes in the series happens as they look at him. And I want you to listen to what the real ranger tells Jake. Go ahead and, and play this clip. Get your rope. Time up. Oh, you don't need to tell me I'm new. Hell, I didn't kill anybody. I just fell in with these boys to get through the territory. Hell, I was going to leave them first chance I got. I wish you'd taken that chance a little earlier, Jake. Man, will go along with five killings. Take me to leave a little slow. Go ahead, Newt. Well, Pete, you know me. I ain't no killer. Deets, you know it, too. Gus, I ain't no criminal. Now, you know that. When Stan had killed them two sod buses, I didn't kill nobody. Put them on their horses. Where's he going? Pick out a tree to hang the pumps on. Gosh, how? You know how it works, Jake. You ride with an outlaw, you die with an outlaw. I'm sorry you crossed the line. It's you no lying, Gus. I was just trying to get through the territory. Back in scout, that's all. I'm sure that's true, Kenny. So did you hear it? It said, Jake, you ride with an outlaw, you die with an outlaw. And that's where he ended, and that's life, that's Proverbs, where you roll, who you roll with, it's going to determine where you go. Your friendships determine your futures, because you will be like them, and you will reap even what they sow, for better or for worse. If you walk with the evil, it says you will stumble in their darkness. So if you walk with the wise, you will become wise. It says, walk in the way of the good, and keep to the path of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. So that's the Bible. That's not the youth pastor who preached this message for almost 20 years. That's scripture. Now let me note this. Does that mean that you should get away from every, you know, bad person in the whole world? You can't do that. You can't, right? 
The book of Proverbs is written for real life. And so that's why the book of Proverbs prepares you for every kind of person because wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you go to school, you're going to run into every kind of person on every kind of path, right? And so you've got to interact with everybody in your office, your classroom, alone. There are sinners, there's mockers, there's fools, there's swindlers, there's angry people. All your coworkers, your high school buddies, your family members, your roommates, they're all going to be all around us, all throughout life. And you're going to be surrounded by people who are making a variety of choices, good and bad, all the time. But what this book is talking about, the book of Proverbs is asking the question, who's in your inner circle? Who's in your circle? There comes the circles again. Because you get to choose that. You get to choose that. And so we will always be around angry people. We will always be around foolish people. We will always be around swindling people. But you get to decide the inner ring. No one's an invader in the inner ring. They're invited in. Whether you passively do it or actively do it, they're invited into the inner ring. So it's interesting. A couple different words in Hebrew, they're translated friend. Two of them mean somebody that's right next to you. Somebody that is right next to you. One of them means like the word domestic. They, they live in your house, but they're not part of your family. The friend is someone who's right next to you. What does that mean? It means that your decisions, they're made together. Your choices, they're evaluated together. You know, your path is together. And so your decision means a shared destiny. Your choices have the same consequences that the people that you bounce ideas off of or share thoughts with, they're the people that you roll with. And you get to pick those people. Now, Jesus didn't just slump into the 12. He had his inner circle, right? He had the 12. He didn't just kind of slide into there. He didn't just say, well, I didn't really want Frank, but, you know, in the 12, but he just kept on hanging out, so I let him in. No, it wasn't like that. Jesus fasted and he prayed all night. And then he walked into a room of 500 people and was like, you're coming, you're coming. And he chose who was in his inner ring. He's a friend of the sinners. We know that about Jesus. We talk about that all the time. He'd have dinner with anybody. It doesn't matter what you did. It didn't matter what mess your life was. Jesus was glad to sit with you. You know, so whatever you've been a part of, good, bad, evil, ugly, shameful, Jesus loves to sit with sinners. But here's the difference. He walked with the 12. He loves to sit with the sinners, but he walked with the 12. Notice that distinction. He selected an inner ring that our path is marching towards Jerusalem together. Right? Another word that's translated friend is the one that you love. And that's, that's what it means. It's, it's like love, but with a person attached at the end of it. That's the person that I love who I roll with right there and I process with them. And so here's the reality. No matter how famous you become, no matter how successful you become, um, no matter how great you become, you're probably going to get one, maybe two, for most of us, really close friends. Proverbs actually talks, 18 verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We've heard that scripture before if you've been around. You, you know, you see that. You can have a bunch of friends, but when trouble breaks out, a lot of your friends break out with it, <laughs> Right? Some of you have, have seen the scene, you know, there's a high school and has a, has a big party at his house when mom and dad are away, right? And when the parents come home, everybody scatters. And then you realize, oh, I've got maybe about two friends that stayed and helped me clean up the mess, <laughs> right? So I, I see it out. But there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. How do you know which one that friend is? Look at the verb in that scripture. They stick. They stick. For better or for worse, they stay with you when it's good or when it's bad. Now, some people cling to you because they're insecure and because they have no identity outside of you. That's not healthy. We'll talk about that in a second. But I'm talking about the friend that sticks with you because they love you and you love them. Circumstances will sometimes shape who's around you. Proverbs 19.4 says it this way. Wealth brings many friends, right? You have money and use the word for neighbor here. When you get wealthy, suddenly you'll have all kinds of friends, right? People that will want to be your companion. But if you finish the verse, it says, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. There's a bunch of people that will bail. But then you get to choose that inner ring who's in the middle. So how do you do that? I want to give you some advice on the front end. Before we go into the, the, our last points, you hang out with wise people. And what you're going to find with friends is two things. You, you want to see character and you want to see chemistry. 
I trust the way that they make decisions. So as we hang out and get along with each other, so the chemistry you discover through shared activities. You know, they quote a movie, and you're like, I love that movie, we're going to be friends forever. And, and, you know, or they compliment you, and you, you just have a chemistry. You get along. He's funny. I like his humor. Or she's cool. I like the way that she treats people. But then you look for character. And so here's what I want you to do. You want to roll with people who have character and who you have chemistry with, a few of them. And you want to walk with the wise, and you'll make a couple of wise friends, right? And you want to walk with the righteous, and you'll make a couple of righteous friends. So how do I do that? Let me, with just the rest of our time, I want to give you the characteristics of a good friend. Are you ready? All right. I want you to do two things as we step into this. I want, because it's so easy for us to just evaluate the other person. I want us to look at ourselves too. Because as we go into this and look at this, you, you might see, you might look at yourself and say, you know what, I've not been the best friend that I could be. And so I want you to, to evaluate yourself too. Here we go. Number one, you want a friend that is truthful. Truthful. Proverbs 29.5 says, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. When I read that proverb, you know what I think about? I think about American Idol. You know, at the beginning of the show, if you've ever watched it, they would have those one or two people that can't sing at all. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, let's, let's, the, the kind of, it kind of the, it's almost like the idea is let's shame the weird people. And I, and I watched that and the whole time I'm thinking about it, like, who failed you? You know, there are people in your hometown, and they knew it. There were people back at your church, and they knew how you sang. Right? And, and then she was like, I'm going to go to American Idol. And, and her friends, you know, like, threw their teeth, and they're like, you should go. <laughs> and, and so you, you just spread a net for her feet in front of America. And so you, you know why you would do that? You know why anybody would do that? Because you don't care enough to be concerned because you don't care. And so if you have friends that are always complimenting you and never confront you, you, you want to know why. Maybe it's because they really don't care. They flatter you to make sure that you like them, but they don't confront you because that might threaten their standing in your eyes. And so you, you're not willing to threaten that. They're not willing to threaten that. And so they're willing for you to be ashamed by some of your flaws rather than confront you. That's why when we talk about you know, uh, friends, we say the true friend is the one that will point out when you got something in your teeth, right? And, and they will point it out, hey, man, you've got to fix that. So why did they do that? Why did they? Because they're invested. They're invested in your best interest. You want a friend that's looking out for you. Proverbs 27 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Verse 9 says, oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. That's what you want. That's what you want. What's sweet about a friend is one who has earnest counsel. They're giving you advice. Why? Because they care. They're invested in your future. They want you to do good. And so you can trust them. Those are the faithful ones. Why? Because they're constructive. They're constructive, not destructive. I'm not talking about being around the person that's constantly cutting you down. That's what, that's what Proverbs 27, 17 says. Uh, it's talking about iron sharpens iron. Remember that scripture? And one man sharpens another. You would use iron to sharpen iron, but you, you wouldn't hit it against the grain. That breaks it down. You would go with the grain. Why? To sharpen it. To sharpen it up. You don't need to be around a friend that's constantly breaking you down. And so you get around a friend that is, you know, pointing out some flaws in your character in a way that will build you up. That will strengthen you. You need that kind of a person. Is it easy to hear? Sometimes no. Maybe a lot of times no. <laughs> It's not always easy to hear, but is it good for you? Yes. Some of us will never see ourselves clearly without a friend like that. It's good to have a truthful friend. So I remember, I remember in staring up at the stars with one of my cousins, we were up in North Dakota one night, and I remember him saying to me, you strike me as a guy who worries too much about what people think. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, we're, we're on the roof of of his pickup truck, and I'm like, you strike me as somebody that I'm about to strike, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, how dare you? You don't know me. Um, but what I realized was that he's the kind of person that cares enough about me to be honest with me. And you know what? He was right. And I grow, I grow more as a result of that kind of friendship than with all the people who tell me things like, oh, you're fine. You're doing good, right? And so you need that kind of a truthful friend. 
Uh, people will say this all the time. Who's a good friend? And, and they'll say this quote. A, fr- a friend is someone who accepts you just how you are. And eh, that's absolutely half right. It's not whole right, though. A friend is someone who loves you just like you are, but loves you too much to let you stay there. That's a true friend. A friend is someone who's going to love you right where you are, but loves you way too much to let you stay there. That's the person that you need. I have some friends like that that I know I can call that will say some hard things to me. And it's because they love me and they're invested in my good. So earnest is their counsel. And it's wise and faithful are their words is the way Proverbs says it. I am better as a result of those people in my life. So the question is, do you have people like that in your life, in your circle? That, you know, as you come to them and say, do you think that this relationship is a bad choice? They're going to give you some truth. (laughs) You know, do you think this decision is unwise? I need to hear an honest answer. And they'll be straight with you. Or do you have friends that will just say, amen, go ahead, go ahead and do it? Regardless, you don't need that. You You don't need more fans. You need a good friend. And good friends are truthful. Second thing, good friends are also discreet. Discreet. Proverbs 11.13 says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Right? Proverbs 16.28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. You want a friend that's able to keep a secret. Now, that doesn't uh, mean that, you know, if you're a criminal mastermind, um, that they're complicit with you in evil. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about. But it's about, you know, you want somebody that you can process with and share some of your deep concerns with, and they're not going to go, oh, well, that's interesting, and then, you know, start getting on their phone. (laughs) You want somebody that'll keep a secret, that'll let you process internally some of your unrefined thoughts, right, that maybe you don't even quite mean yet, and you're still thinking and processing through, or, you know, some of your feelings that, that are still kind of vacillating, you know, before that you find the right path. You need that person who will enter that space with you and won't share it with other people. Do you know why people share your secrets with other people? Why that happens most of the time? It's because they love themselves more than they love you. And so when, when, when they share your secrets, they see your secret as a path to their success. Oh, I can, I can use this information, right? When I share this with other people, This will integrate this person with me. It'll build our friendship. I'll give them some inside information, right? And so I can use your private information for my advancement. It's kind of what happens. That's not a good friend. And you you know why I I don't want a friend like that? You know, well, let let me tell you a secret of how you find out the person is like that is as if they're always telling other people's business, right? Because who's gonna stop them from telling yours? And so... Again, it's not so you can keep horrible, dark secrets, but someone that will let you process in secret and speak the truth to you in that place. So you read stories of pastors who fall out of ministry because of moral failure. What happened? There, there is all sorts of different ways of stumbling in the dark, but most of the stories, they all started on the same path, isolation. Isolation from friendships, every single one. And they had a, a secret world, and that secret world gets exposed that's what happened. The, the, the way to keep off of that path is to get good friends around me who love me enough to be honest with me. And, you know, who can I process the recesses of my heart with where we can pray together and speak hard truths to each other and feel safe in that inner circle? And it gives you strength. You want a circle like that. They're, they're, they're worth taking the time to find. And they aren't necessarily, you know, the guys that you have instant chemistry with. We're, we're, we're kind of grown apart now, but um, because of distance. But one of my best friends in college, um, we met in the registration line on the very first day. And so, you know, new place, new people are everywhere, and people are going to land in different spaces. And I remember the first time talking with him in the line. He just seemed kind of over the top at the moment. That was my first assessment of him. And I was like, you know, enjoying the conversation, but I was thinking to myself, oh, we're probably not going to be friends, <laughs> is kind of what I was thinking to myself. But I realized after a few more run-ins and conversations with the guy, that he was wise and he was a righteous person and I would benefit from being around him. So our friendship deepened. He was on the right path. And as I got around him, he was discreet. He was honest. He was truthful. And I'm better as a result of being with God. I ended up singing in his wedding. We had a deep friendship. And, but we walked the wisdom path together for a season and he's been a gift to me. And that's what you want. 
The next thing, you want a wise friend? Wise enough to give good counsel. That's the third one. Proverbs 14 verse 7 says, Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent or the wise is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Verse 14, chapter 11 says, Where there is no guidance, a people fails, falls, but in abundance of, an abundance of counselors there is safety. I love it. In the book of Philippians, Paul tells his young believers to join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So the word observe in Greek there is scopus, where we get the word scope. And he says, so walk into a room like you're in this room right now and start, start to scope out the person that seems to have healthy friendships, a healthy life, and makes good decisions and begin to move towards them. And if you realize that you don't know how to be a good husband, take a look around, scope out some guys that are killing it in that area, and start asking them some questions. Can we go to lunch? I want to interview you. And then as you have those conversations, you'll begin to see where your weaknesses are. And maybe you need to, you know, some financial counsel. It's that. So I don't really know how to navigate all this green or lack of green. And so you, you meet with some godly men that know how to handle money and you ask them. And I would think that, I, th I think you should do this. If you're looking for wise mentors, first of all, don't say, you know, Will you be my mentor and, and walk with me? And can I call you anytime at any point? And can we just, you know, walk together and be my Yoda for all of my days and I'll never leave your house? And, you know, people do that. And the other person's like, too much, too much, right? Um, so what I would do is walk up and say, hey, can I have a few minutes of your time? I have a list of questions. Can I ask you, can I buy you lunch? Can I buy you a meal? And respect their time. Come with your list of questions to honor their time. I would ask them specific questions. I would take notes. I would thank them for their time. I would offer to pay for their meal. Sometimes they won't even let you do that. Write them a thank you note. And, you know, I would ask them if you're, if you're really connected, you have some chemistry, can I call you and can we do this again later? And you build over time a ring of wise counselors. But that wisdom can save you from so many problems. So many financial problems for some of us. Things that maybe you were about to walk into that would have sunk you. So you want to make some strides in wisdom. Get around people who are excelling in wisdom and in giving good counsel. As a youth pastor, um, in that time, I, I never expected to be in the National Next Gen Council for Foursquare. It's, it, I kept pursuing wisdom. And when there wasn't uh, a youth ministry fellowship happening here in, in Rapid City, I, read, I, I started getting some youth leaders together because I didn't want to be alone. I needed counsel. I read more youth ministry blogs and books and then some more blogs than, than some of you can, can probably even imagine. I, I devoured that stuff, gaining wisdom from others in my field. And then I started writing my own youth ministry content. It grew to over a thousand subscribers. And, and you know, when our next gen guy in the district, the guy before me, his name was Jeremy, was hired, I called him up and I joked with him. When he was hired, I said, I wanted that job. <laughs> and we laughed together because I was kind of joking, but I was kind of not. <laughs> I really wanted it. But then as he stepped into that role, I worked beside him as his right-hand man. And I traveled around with him a bit. And I started going to the district camps and started meeting all the people. And, and I grew in wisdom through all of those relationships. And so when God started to talk to Jeremy then... Um, to step out of the next-gen role and to move on to senior leadership, Sam, our district supervisor, asked him for a list of names. Do you know what happened? Jeremy came to him with one name. It was mine. And, and I had just moved out of our district. It is when we had moved away from Destiny Foursquare uh, nine years ago now. And it was two months after that, after we left Rapid, um, I, got, I got around wise people, and their paths led me to a brighter future. And I stepped into that role, which is a dream role for me. And so you get around the wise, and here's the next one. You get around the holy. Chapter 12, verse 26. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked will lead them astray. You want a friend who walks in holiness right now. And so when I say that, what I've realized is that with a lot of people is that when they start walking with Jesus, sometimes you look up and your current friendship group is not walking on the path of wisdom, right? And so what do I do? Do I just ditch all my non-believing friends? No, I wouldn't say to do that. Hang out with them. But when you look up and you have good friends that you love, but realize that they aren't chasing after holiness the way that you want to, they aren't interested in going to church, they aren't interested in serving, you need to start getting involved in the church. And you need to start getting involved in serving and, and building a ring of friends that are, are going down the same path with you, with some good friends that, 
you might naturally realize your paths are going to go in different directions and that's okay, but you don't have to decide today, well, I better text a bunch of people. You're blocked, you're blocked, you're blocked. You know, Jesus was a friend of sinners. He sat with them, shared meals with them, but again, it's his inner ring, the people who wanted to be right with God. And so I'm not saying cut off all the, you know, people cold turkey, but I am saying begin to cultivate the crowd that I want to walk with the holy. But here's the last, or second to last thing. We want, you want someone secure enough to give you space. You want somebody that's secure enough to give you space. Verse 25, 17 says, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house. Let him have his fill of you and hate, lest he has his fill of you and hate you. Some of you like that verse. <laughs> that's such a good proverb, some of us are thinking. Now, some of us, that's obvious. Other, other of us, uh, for other of us, like, what? I don't understand. So you need to learn that you want a friend that's secure enough in your friendship to not always have to be around you. That's a codependent person. And that's unhealthy. You want someone that can stand on their own two feet and have their own life and love you and bless you and encourage you and, uh, and be loved and be blessed by you, but not guilt trip you if they didn't know where you were at every 30 minute increment throughout the day. <laughs> that's not a healthy friendship, it's too much. So you want someone who's secure enough to give you space. Um, the last thing, is that you want somebody who's loyal. Loyal enough to stay when it's hard. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. That's really when you wanna have a friend, right? We tend to have a lot of buddies around when life is good, but when the adversity hits, you wanna have been cultivating some friendships so that there's a friend that will stand with you and protect you. Abraham Lincoln, when he was young and he was just beginning his career, he had a major political setback um, that he thought was going to de derail just his entire life and his political career. And he had a romantic relationship go south right at the same time. So he slumped into this depression and he became suicidal. And the guy by the name of Joshua Speed, he stepped in. And he had to take all the knives out of Abraham Lincoln's house and the scissors and he had to sit by his bed and he watched him, and he talked with him, and he counseled him, and he rode through the valley with him until Lincoln came out on the other side. Can you imagine young Lincoln? He was in his 20s and 30s. Lincoln, he's getting so discouraged that he thought about ending his life. And so how much would we have lost because of that? You know why we get Lincoln? We get Lincoln because he had Joshua. We need you. God has put gifts in every single one of us that's meant to build us up. We need you. But for many of us, when we have hard times, it's a pity the man who has no one else to pick him up. You need to cultivate godly friendships that will sit with you in the dark and love you in the hard places. We need those kind of people. King David, when he landed in the cave, in the darkest place of his life, it says, Jonathan came to him and strengthened his hand in God. And mighty David led his people, and from David came King Jesus. You need those friends that when you enter into the cave and when you enter into the darkness, they will stand there with you and will cover and protect you and will counsel and encourage you and will walk you back into the light. You need those kind of people. And you go, well, Sean, I don't have them. Where do I start? Where do I start? I want to end with this. Let me show you where to start. We're going to go to John chapter 15, and this is what Jesus was saying when he was talking to his disciples. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command to you, so that you will love one another. Let's stand. You want to know where to start? It starts with Jesus, because greater love has no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends, right? And he told them that because that's exactly what he was about to do. He's talking to them. He says, you guys are going to scatter like bad friends when they come to arrest me. You guys are going to run. 
And, and when they beat and mock me, Peter, my closest friend, you'll pretend that you don't even know me. But I'm going to give my life for you, all your shame, all your mistakes, all your failures, and I'm going to take them on myself, and I'm going to bury them in the grave. And then I'm going to rise. And when I rise, it's not to shame you, because I buried your shame. It's not to condemn you, because I took your condemnation. It's to bring you love from me. I'm a friend that laid down his life for you. And then when you come to know me, I'm going to lead you to love us. He talks about that quite a bit. He talks about loving us. I'm going to lead you towards the other people that I'm redeeming, the other people that I'm rescuing. So you may not feel like you have a friend in the world, but you have one in the heavens this morning. And heaven is here this morning, amen? Amen. And so his name is Jesus. He gave everything for you so that you can come to him today and then you can come to his people. You can come to us. Get involved here. Get plugged in a circle. Get in a connect group, you know, and, and let us love you. Let the church love you. Let the people of God love you. Find some godly friendships. Make some friends in this place in this week. Join one of the teams and serve. Uh, with the people of God, going down on the path of wisdom. You know, get into a circle of people. I've heard it so, so many times where, where someone says, man, I, I don't know anybody. You know, I'm in the church, I'm in the large room, and I don't know one person in here. And when I started to serve, it was less about me. It was more about caring for others. All of a sudden, you know, I was surprised to find that I was surrounded by a community. I was surrounded by people that loved me. And I got what I wanted when I came to be a part of the people of God. So jump in with us, jump into a connect group, jump into the welcome team, the communications team, the next gen team, the office team, and then we walk together. And so get in the Proverbs reading plan. I want to hit that one more time. Jump in with us if you haven't yet. We've had such good interaction um, um, on the website this week. Our numbers have doubled as I've seen everybody jumping into Proverbs. I love it. I love some of the conversations that we've had around, around the church. And here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're going to go through Proverbs with us, find somebody, maybe a friend here, who's, who's part of our community, and say, hey, are you reading through the Proverbs reading plan? Um, and let's text each other every day, and let's talk about where, what we're learning on this journey. Or, you, you know, you kind of have this accountability thing that's happening with them, or recruit a friend that's outside of the community that doesn't go to church yet, and say, you know, hey, I'm reading through the book of Proverbs all next month. You want to jump in and read with me? Give them the, the way to jump in. Sign them up. And, you know, then you go back and forth, okay, have, have you read, you know, the reading today? Not yet. Okay, well, let, let's read it, and let's talk about it, and let's have a conversation, and let's go deeper together. But I, let's get on the path of the wise, amen, the path of the righteous together, and watch our lives slowly over time as we make healthy decisions together, move together in the direction of fullness that he has for us, amen? Amen. So, Father God, we're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for your wisdom. We're so thankful for your truth. Thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your wisdom. God, help us to surround ourselves with godly counsel, to help us to walk with the wise, and to, to even make a wise decision to, 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 to who we have um, in close proximity to us, God, that, the, that we have an inner circle. For those of us that don't have a circle, God, Help us to, to step out in boldness, Lord, to, to start those relationships, even this week, Lord. God, as we move together in, in wisdom, actually, as we move um, in wisdom, we will move together. So, God, I just, I just pray, Lord, for those solid friendships that you're giving us. Thank you for our friends that are leaving here and going on the mission field. God, go with them, send them. Give them wisdom um, with every step that they take and the power to do what you've called them to do. Lord, in your name. Now, there's people in this room this morning. You know that uh, you're here for a reason. I know that you're here for a reason. It's not a mistake. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and to walk the path of the wise. He's, he's the one that's um, asking you to, to, to take a step of faith this morning and walk with him. And if God has been speaking to you this morning, you know it. And if that's you, if you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, he's a friend that is faithful yesterday, today, and forever. 
And you want to talk about wisdom. He is the truth, the scriptures say. He is the word of God. And he is your rescue. So that's you this morning. With nobody looking around, raise your hand up high. We don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray a prayer of agreement with you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, Father God, we send these sent ones this morning to walk in wisdom. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.